Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Good morning, everybody. Y'all good? Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I am so happy to see you all today. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We're taking a look at another one of the parables of Jesus. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Pharisee and the tax collector. Good to see you all. Uh, It's just kind of me talking, but I think I've been a pretty good boy this week. I think I've been really good. Um, I think I'm good most weeks. Just honestly, just being honest, uh, I think some of you would say the same thing. Um, I just mean that at 57 years old, I, I behave. I've learned how to control my behavior. Uh, on top of that, I do a lot of good things. I think I made the bed every single morning this week. Uh, asked my wife. I do believe I took the trash to the end of the drive and brought it back, and I didn't have to be asked. Um, and honestly, as I was walking back to the driveway, I'm thinking, she's lucky to have me. She is Lucky to have me. Um, that's the problem with, with, with me. I'm pretty good at handling behavior, checking all the boxes. I show up on time. I try to be a really good person. My real sin is, uh, is inward. You know what I mean? Like I can do all of that and, uh, and, and the sin is still in me. It's that self-congratulation when I can't help telling myself, man, my, luck, my wife is lucky to have me, you know? Um, it's pride. Interesting, in one of the stories Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25, the parable is called the parable of the sheep and the goats. Um, it's that story where Jesus talks about the day when he himself hands out the rewards and the punishments, the sheep and the goats, you know. And it, it's, it's a place where Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. And then you remember the, the righteous, they say what? When, you know, when, when, when did we do this? It's just that amazing way in which the, the true righteous, those who know Jesus, those who live for him, the righteous things they do are, are not self-conscious. They don't stop and congratulate themselves, you know. Um, it's, it's like an old man that used to go to our church. Uh, I loved him so much. His name was J.G. Wilson, Geneva Wilson, Nancy McElroy's father, if, if you know Nancy. Um, J.G. was just the godliest, best man, uh, loved the Lord, um, so humble. Uh, late in his life, um, his memory was slipping, but he was still J.G. Uh, he had gone to town with Nancy. Nancy had driven her daddy into town to do some errands. And on the way back home, she just said, Daddy, what do you say we stop and get a, a bite to eat on the way home? And Geneva said, well, <laughs> you'd have to know him well. I reckon I could eat a bite. And then he said, but I don't have any money. Nancy said, oh, daddy, you got money. You've always got money. He said, no, I don't believe I got any money. She said, give me your billfold. She handed, handed her his billfold, and she counted out $47. Geneva had $47. She said, daddy, you got $47 in your billfold. And he said, no, I don't believe I got money like that. She said, Daddy, you got $47 in your billfold and you've got a bank account. You've got a savings account. You've got money in the bank. And then Geneva said, 
what did I ever do to get that kind of money? <laughs> she said, Daddy, you worked every day of your life, you know. Um, it's, it's that. It's, it's when the Geneva Wilsons of the world stand before Jesus, you know, and he hands out their awards and look back at him and go, what did, what did I ever do, you know, to deserve that? What did I ever do? It's that humility, that, that pure-heartedness um, that is characteristic of righteousness, and it is that very characteristic that so many of us lack, which is why the parable today is so important. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Notice verse 9. When you're interpreting parables, uh, among other things, it's important to pay attention to who Jesus is talking to. Who's this story for? And notice in verse 9 it says, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. They had great confidence in their own righteousness. Um, those are the kind of people that are really hard to preach to, honestly. The ones that have great confidence in their own righteousness, primarily because since they have so much confidence in themselves, they don't listen. Now, I say they don't listen. I think they don't hear. Remember when Jesus was talking about why he would use parables in the first place? What he said was, I preach with parables because people are always listening but never hearing. Always listening Never hearing. Does that sound like anybody you know? It's that idea that we can come to church Sunday after Sunday. We can listen to messages. As a matter of fact, some of you already know this parable. I'm about to read it and preach it. I'm going to preach my guts out up here. But you're thinking to yourself, I've already heard this. I, I have been here, done that. But, but honestly, most of the people who open the Bible and say, yeah, I've, you know, here we go again, You've never gone the first time. That's why Jesus said, you know, people are always listening. They don't hear. And that's how parables work. That's why parables are important. Because the parable draws you in. Like maybe you have an idea how this is supposed to turn out, but that's the nature of a story. You still step into it. Now, if, if I know you're about to preach a message and you're going to put it right between my eyes, I'm not stupid. I'm going to duck. You know, if I know a sermon's coming straight at me and I got the warning, I'm not going to sit there and take it. I'm going to duck. I'm going to let the person behind me get it because you know they need it. You know? If I know you're about to tell me something I don't want to hear, man, I'm going to put my guard up. I, I know how to do this. You do too. We know how to listen and not hear. But that's why the parable is important because you step into this story and it sort of plays on your expectations. You think you know how this is going to turn out, but then the parable always has this aha moment. Like all of this sudden, you step in, a door closes behind you, and then before you know it, the truth falls on you like a ton of bricks. Never saw it coming. See, if, if you saw it coming, you duck, you avoid it, you would put your guard up, but it's just the way the parable manages to get you to hear something that uh, you may not have listened to if you knew what was coming. So pay attention to the parable today from Luke chapter 18, verse 9. This is important. Once more, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, the sinner, not the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. All right, so here's the story. Two men go to the temple. One is a Pharisee, the other is a tax collector. I said that a parable usually uh, works off of your assumptions. And so when Jesus begins this parable in that simple way, you can just count on the fact that people have assumptions. They think they know what this story's gonna be. So when Jesus says a Pharisee goes to the temple, they all know what Pharisees are. They know who the Pharisees are. And I would probably wager that their assumptions aren't the same as yours when it comes to Pharisees. So you and I, we have this history of reading the New Testament, and every single time there's a Pharisee in the story, he's a hypocrite. In the New Testament, if there's a Pharisee, he's a bad guy. He's going to be the enemy of Jesus, and we're used to that. So when the Pharisees strode into the story, we're accustomed to recognizing right away, this is going to be the bad guy. This is going to be the hypocrite. This is going to be the one to avoid. But I'm telling you, in Jesus' day, nobody saw Pharisees like that. Nobody. Pharisees were the religious leaders. No one saw them as hypocrites. Nobody saw them as hypocrites. They were conservatives. They were the ones most devoted to the word of God. They loved the word of God. They lived the word of God. They tried harder than everybody else. And people saw that, they recognized it, and they respected it. People respected Pharisees. No one saw them as hypocritical. No one saw them as the enemy, not at all. These are the very cream of the crop. These are the men who love God and live for God and they show it in their daily devotion every day. So when you read the story, you have to understand that's what the people would have thought. Pharisee walks into the temple, he's at home there. He's talking to the Lord and you know, you know that this is something he does all the time. He belongs there. A Pharisee goes into the temple, same time a tax collector goes into the temple. Now, I think you probably understand something of the way people in those days saw tax collectors. They hated them. Hated them. Nobody likes paying taxes. I hate paying taxes. And so there's that. But in Jesus' day, it goes beyond that. Understand, Israel's been completely conquered, taken over by Rome. They're an occupied territory now, the Roman Empire. They are not free. There's a Roman soldier on every corner, a Roman soldier in the temple. There's a Roman soldier everywhere to remind you that you are in occupied territory. You are not free. You belong to Rome now. And the Israelites, especially the Jews, hated that. 
They're God's chosen people and they hate the fact that they've been militarily defeated. They hate the fact that Rome has taken them over, occupied. They hate that and on top of all of that, Rome charges them taxes. Rome makes them pay taxes for the privilege of being occupied by Rome. I mean, there you go. And they despise those taxes, they hate that. On top of that, the tax collectors that Rome would hire are typically locals. So your neighbor who you know is now working for Rome, taking money for the Romans, and that's enough to make you hate your neighbor. On top of that, they say that the best way for tax collectors to make their own money is to charge some fees. You know, those, those small fees that kind of come at the end of the bill in the really tiny print, and those fees add up. And according to the tradition of the day, the Pharisees, I mean, the, the tax collectors would, would, would charge a little bit extra, then they would pocket that money. That's how they made their profit. You see that? So when you have a Pharisee and a tax collector going to the temple, you know exactly who you're supposed to like, and you know exactly who not to like. Nobody's going to like the tax collector, and I'm telling you, he's in the temple. We're not even sure he belongs there. So... Pharisee and a tax collector walk into the temple. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. This is a doozy, y'all. He prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, I'm certainly not like this tax collector. What do y'all think about that prayer? I thank you, God, I'm not like other people. Isn't this a little bit like calling your mama just to thank her for having such an awesome kid like you? Isn't that pretty much what he's done? Thank, thank you, God, for making me just like me. What you need to know is that this is nearly word for word the morning prayer of every Pharisee. This isn't just a story prayer. It's a real prayer. The, the, the rising prayer, the morning prayer of every Pharisee began like this. Oh God, maker of heaven and earth, I thank you that you have not made me a Gentile. First word of a Pharisee's mouth every single day. I thank you that you did not make me a Gentile. I thank you that you did not make me a fool. And I thank you that you did not make me a woman. Sorry, yeah, that's what they prayed. Because no Jew wanted to be a Gentile. Thank you, God, that you made me a Jew. Thank you that you did not make me a Gentile. I mean, the Jews are God's chosen people, and the very first word out of his mouth is that racist word. Thank you that you did not make me a Gentile. Thank you that you did not make me a fool, because nobody wants to be a fool. And thank you, God, that you did not make me a woman, because in that day, they didn't want to be a woman either. Thank you, God, that you made me, me, just like me. Thank you that you didn't make me a cheater, a sinner, adulterer like other people. I mean, this is how the Pharisees prayed. And then he wraps it up, not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all of my income. Now, if the parable ended right there, there would be no surprise. And as a matter of fact, in Jesus's day, that's a completely acceptable prayer for a Pharisee. Nobody would think twice about that. That's exactly, exactly the way the Pharisees would have prayed and nobody's surprised by that. That Pharisee has just had a really good day in the house of the Lord and he's gonna go home satisfied. There's nothing there that surprises you. 
I mean, we read it, and, and there's a little, you and I probably have some problems with it. I mean, basically, it's obvious that the Pharisee thinks he's better. Thank you that you didn't make me like everybody else. I mean, thinks he's better. That's pride. It's a sin. Pride's a sin, but, and I know, I've always heard preachers say that sin is sin. All sin is, you know, condemned by God, and, and that, that's true. I know that all sin is sin, and I know that God doesn't make distinctions. Sin is sin. But sin isn't necessarily, I mean, all sins aren't equal to me and you. Can we just be honest? I mean, let's just tell the truth. This guy is a little prideful, but, but pride's kind of my sin, too. You know, and I've already established, I think I'm a good guy. Talking to a guy this week who's like his wife's following him like on the iPhone, like, you know, find my husband. You know, like she tracks him all the time. He's like, gotta get her off my back. And part of me is like, dude, well, like, I don't, every one of y'all can follow me on your iPhone. I mean, find my pastor, I don't care. You'll be so bored watching me. I don't do nothing. You know, like follow me. Have at it, woo, you, you know. You'll see me go from church to home. Church to home, you'll see me take the trash out, you know. And back. I mean, I don't do, say I'm a good person, but it's the pride, you know. But pride, how serious is that? Like if pride's your only hang up. I mean, I know, I know they say, you know, sins are all the same. Jesus said that to lust after woman is, you know, in your heart, the same thing as committing adultery with her. Is it though? I mean, you know, Jesus says if you hate somebody in your heart, that's just like murdering them. But is it though? Because honestly, if like I have, like if, if you're going to hate me or kill me, I'd prefer you hate me. They're not exactly the same. So sort of in, in our way of looking at sin, we absolutely categorize sin. And, and the funny thing is, we have this tendency to make sure that our kinds of sins are never really considered that seriously. So if the Pharisees' issue is pride, how serious is pride? Well, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19 is a very interesting couple of verses. There are six things the Lord hates. This is from the Bible. Six things the Lord hates. No, no seven things he detests. Are you ready? We're going to do the list of seven things God hates. You ready? Haughty eyes. A lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. Seven things right there in the list. And personally, I'm glad to see that murder is on the list because I hate that too. And uh, liars get hit twice and, and go hit them twice. Liars, they, they need to be hit twice. But do you understand what tops the list? Of things that God hates, the proverb here uses the phrase haughty eyes. Uh, the actual Hebrew word there just means high eyes, high eyes. What do you think? High eyes. What do you think that means? A person with high eyes, that just means they all the time looking down on everybody else, which means if, if you're going to take the list of things that God hates, looking down on others is at the top of the list. I, I find that just shattering and amazing. The list of things that God hates, and the first thing is not pornography. 
The first thing is not homosexuality. The first thing on the list is not abortion. It's looking down on others. Huh. So the Pharisee steps up and says, I thank you, God, that you, you, you did not make me, you know, like other people. Thank you that you didn't make me a sinner, adulterer. I'm not like this tax collector, you know. Understand, looking down on others is, is kind of delicious. And some of us do it, and we do it, we do it well, and we do it all the time. I, I, I'm not judging you. I, I don't know you, but is this not just a very common thing? Because I know it is in my heart. I, I look down on other people. I don't want to. I don't mean to. But, but the thing is, if I get to look down on somebody, that, that makes me feel lifted up. You know, makes me feel better about myself, and especially if I get to choose the person I'm going to compare myself to, you know. And here's the thing. The tendency to think you're better than others gets worse if you add religion to it. Everybody may do this, but when you add religion to it, that means that now I take, you know, my religious habits, my religious activity, and I make that the measuring stick that I can judge everybody else by. So again, I get to make myself the measure of, of spirituality and religion, and I get to go around then and judge everybody else by my standard. And I'm telling you that there's something very attractive about that. That's why we all do it. It's just amazing how much better I can feel about myself. It's amazing how righteous I can feel in myself if I can somehow notice your sin but not see my sin. And this is exactly the Pharisee situation. He stands before God, stands boldly, proudly, looks God in the face and says, thank you. Thank you for making me just like me, you know? You add religion to that tendency and you have something very destructive and in some ways very delicious. It's a poison. It's actually really a bad sign if your religion, if your faith involves a lot of sacrifice and, and not a lot of change. See, the Pharisee comes in and he's talking about his sacrifice. And I'm telling you, he sacrifices he checks all the boxes. He is there at his place in the temple on time, in his pew, praying his prayer. He fasts twice a week. I get a little lightheaded if I skip dessert. He fasts twice a week. He also tithes a tenth of everything he makes. Like he's giving his money. He's fasting. This guy is serious. His sacrifices are real. And in his mind, this gives him something. This gives him something to stand before God and be proud of. But I'm just telling you, it's a bad sign if your faith involves all this sacrifice but no change. It's kind of funny that Sunday after Sunday, you can be here in your spot, on time, praying your prayer and singing your songs, but then in a month of Sundays, you don't ever have to change. Like you can come to church and you can sit right there, you can look me right in the face and you don't ever have a sin to confess. Like funny thing, you haven't said I'm sorry to God or anybody else in years. That strike you a little, a little odd? That somehow in all these years of hearing the gospel preached and hearing the word of God laid out in front of you and, and you can sit through it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and you don't ever have to feel anything. You don't ever have to repent. 
that never strikes you as odd? I mean, you do a lot of religious things, but you don't ever really have to change your ways. It's not a good sign. It's just not a good sign. And and on top of that, no, no matter what kinds of religious things you do, if your attitude toward people is wrong, you can't be right with God. It's that simple. You try to argue with that if you want to, but I don't think you can argue with that. It don't matter what you do, not matter how much you go to church, it doesn't matter how many Bible verses, you matter how much you give. None of this matters. If, if your attitude toward people is wrong, you cannot be right with God. And so two men go into the temple. The Pharisee stands before God, and he lifts up his head, and he prays his prayer, and he says, thank you, God. You know? But there was another man, the, the tax collector. I'm not sure he even belonged there. Pretty sure I know what everybody's thinking. He probably knows what everybody's thinking. That's why he comes in, stands in the back. He stands back at a distance. He does not go down front. He just prays the simplest prayer. He says, God, have mercy. Jesus says when he prayed, he wouldn't even look up to the sky. He wouldn't even lift his eyes because he just... He can't look God in the face because if he looks God in the face, God's going to see. God's going to see his heart. God, mercy on me, a sinner. A sinner. He only asks for one thing. It's the amazing thing. The only thing he asks for is mercy. What's mercy? It's kind of a... Two words that we use a lot in, in around church, grace and mercy, right? Grace is the word that talks about when you get something you didn't deserve. It's undeserved favor sometimes we say, or uh, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. You get something that you did not deserve just because God is good and God is gracious. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. But what is mercy? Mercy is similar, but it's also kind of opposite. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. And the tax collector, the sinner, he asks for mercy. In other words, he knows what he deserves from God, and he knows it's not good, and he's just begging God, please, God, give me mercy. I just need mercy. There's kind of a lesson for prayer in this. First off, prayer requires the courage before God to say who you really are. Now, what does he say? God, have mercy on me. I am sinner. Yeah, interestingly, uh, the, the, the language that he uses here, my New Living Translation says, I am a sinner. But what the tax collector says is, I am the sinner. Have mercy upon me, the sinner. In other words, he's saying, God, if you open the dictionary and you look up sinner, you're going to see my picture there. I am the sinner. I am the sinner. It's like when Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. I mean, that was the Apostle Paul speaking, and this is the way the tax collector prays. Lord, have mercy upon me. I am the sinner. So prayer requires the courage before God to say who you really are and the sense to ask for what you really need, and what he needs is mercy. Mercy. Now, the interesting thing is, when the Pharisee prays, he doesn't ask for anything. 
Oh, he's thankful to God, but he doesn't ask for anything. He certainly doesn't ask for mercy. Why do you think that is? Why does the Pharisee pray and never ask for anything? Because he doesn't think he needs anything from God, especially mercy. It would never cross his mind that he is in need of mercy. I'm not sure he thinks he needs anything. I think he thinks he walked in and he is the total complete package. He's all good. He looks good. He prays good. And everybody thinks he is good. So it must be good. But the scripture says, Jesus says that when the two men go into the temple, they both pray. They have the very same uh, temple experience. Do you see that? They both pray. And if you were watching from the outside, you just see two men going and pray. But Jesus says one of those, one of those, and it's the sinner, not the Pharisee. It's the sinner, not the Pharisee, goes home justified. One of them goes home justified. Uh, again, it's another church word. It's the same word for righteous. We don't have a verb form of righteous, so we can't say he went home righteous. You know, he got righteous. But that's what happened. He, he, he somehow is justified. He, he receives righteousness. He receives something he did not have walking in. Two men go into the temple, but when they leave, they're one of them is a very different man. It's because of what happens here. Understand, righteousness isn't something you bring to God. It's something he gives to you because of Jesus. Pharisee's never going to receive this because he doesn't think he needs it. As a matter of fact, like all the people in Jesus' audience, he's quite confident in his own righteousness. He thinks he's good. At least good enough. He's at least better than everybody else. That should count for something. And he somehow assumes that in judgment day, God's going to grade on some sort of curve. As long as you come out better than everybody else. But that's not the way it goes. Understand, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. You probably know the first verse. Learn the second verse here. Everyone has sinned. We fall short of God's glorious standard. It's God's standard we're compared to, not other people. You can always look around and find some other person and look better and feel really great. I mean, you could actually make yourself feel saved if you could find a sinner bad enough in your eyes to compare yourself to. You could make yourself look amazing. But that's not how it works. We're not comparing ourselves to other people. We're compared to God's glorious, perfect standard of holiness. And we all fall short of that. All of us sinners. But let's go on. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, that's grace, declares that we are all righteous. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, only God and only because of Jesus, all of us who fall short, all of us who sin, he just declares that we're righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Do you understand this? Righteousness is not something you have and it's not something you're ever gonna have. I don't know how to make you understand this. In, in all of my years of preaching, I still run across people every single day who still somehow believe that if they're a good enough person, that's gonna equal salvation, that's gonna equal heaven. And that's not how it works. It would work that way if any of us could possibly meet God's glorious standard, but we can't. We can't. 
We're sinners. You've already sinned. You're already guilty. You're already condemned. There's no hope for you somehow being good enough to earn something different from God. You can't do it. The only righteousness coming your way is coming as a gift from the Savior. His name is Jesus. Pharisee's not going to receive this because understand, he wouldn't even think to ask for it. He thinks he's righteous by himself. but not the tax collector. Lord, have mercy upon me, the sinner. As a pastor, I'm fully aware uh, that uh, every single church service is thoroughly evaluated by you people as you go home. It it just is, I, I, I know. I know, you get in the car, you talk about the service, you know. You'll talk about the music, you'll talk about the the pre, you'll talk about the sermon. Somebody's going to say, Pastor Tim, he looked tired today. I think he's a little bit tired. And I don't know about that sermon. Sometimes he, sometimes Pastor Tim will have us laughing and crying at the same time, and that's what I like. But today, we mostly cried, you know. Wasn't that that great today? Kind of slow, sleepy, you know. We evaluate the service, you know. I don't know that we can help it. We just do. I do the same thing. I think the amazing part about this parable is that it is revealed that, that Jesus does that too. He evaluates worship experiences from people. I find that amazing. As a matter of fact, he does it right here. He says two men go into the temple and Jesus watches them. At the end of it, he actually evaluates it. He has something to say about what happens with these men that come into the temple. And the interesting thing is, although it's two men, same temple, same service, they do not have the same experience. As a matter of fact, one of those men comes out and leaves justified. That's amazing. He comes and he leaves changed. He's a very different man going out and coming in. Now, the Pharisee, as I said, I guarantee you, he left that service satisfied. He loved it. It was exactly the kind of service that warms his heart because it was kind of all about him. It had him in the middle. It had him thanking God for himself. It had him thinking about all of his sacrifices and reminding God how, how important he was to God. I mean, that's the kind of service that he likes. It flattered him. Made him feel better about himself. It kind of uplifted him. He got to walk out satisfied. But understand, being satisfied is not the same thing as justified. The sinner, he leaves justified. He's changed. So oddly enough, Jesus has something to say about like this service, like, There's obviously more than two of us in here, but there may still be two types. I think we probably have some sinners in the room who know full well they deserve nothing from God. Just come and beg for mercy. Some of you are like that. Your heart's crushed. Just hoping God will show you mercy and forgiveness and you just beg for that. And understand you ask for mercy, you will receive mercy. You ask for salvation, he will save you. You want forgiveness, he will forgive you. You come before God with a humble heart. You ask for what you need, he will give you. Give you all of his riches in Christ, I'm telling you. 
You come asking, you'll receive. But uh, there's the other kind of person, probably every Sunday, and that's the one that comes in not asking for anything because they don't really think they need anything, you know. They never even think to ask for mercy because they don't think they need mercy. They feel like they're pretty good people, you know. They have a lot of confidence in their own goodness, their own righteousness. It's really, really hard to get people who think they don't need mercy to uh, ever ask for mercy. So I don't know, is it too late for us? I mean, like this service, it's almost over. I'm done, y'all. I'm finished preaching, and the service is about to wrap up, and we're going to walk out of here, and Jesus is going to have something to say about this meeting, this time in his house. I don't want to walk in here and walk out the same. I don't want to walk in here and walk out without receiving everything that Christ has for me. I don't want to come in here and leave empty. Is it too late? I don't think so. But it would require something of you. It means you'd have to change. You have to walk out of here and you have to walk out different. Different than when you came in. You can't do this on your own. You can't find mercy if you don't think you need mercy. You can't receive from God if you don't think you need anything from God. But if you'll pray to him with a humble heart, be honest about who you are and be honest about what you need from him, you'll go home different. It's really, really hard for those of us who listen to so many sermons. It's really hard to get us to ever hear one. Lord, have mercy. Pray with me.